This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to review Star Trek Picard episode 305 called Imposters. But first we've got some news, and we're starting with the big news that we were hoping would happen, which is that Michelle Yeoh won an Academy Award for Best Actress for Everything Everywhere All at Once, which won a lot of awards. Yeah, Best Picture. It won seven total. Yeah, I was super happy because it's like the only movie I saw. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a few of them. I mean, it deserved it. No one's saying that other things were snubbed. And she deserved it. I mean, she there was kind of no way she wasn't going to win because she won all the other awards leading up to it. It was just a great moment. I saw so many people just sharing her speech and cheering her on. It was so much fun. So I guess the big question now is where that leaves Section 31. One theory of the case is that, you know, it helps push it through at Paramount because now she's Academy Award winner, Michelle Yeoh. Mm -hmm. um, and it gives her more cachet, assuming she wants it and has the time. What I understand, she doesn't have a lot of time because she is very busy, but there is a big desire. They really do want to do this. There has been work. It's almost certainly not going to be an ongoing multi-season series. No, she's not going to commit to that. She would she would be foolish to commit to that. I think this is actually going to help, but it's going to shrink, isn't the right word, but narrow the project um, right. to to a movie or a miniseries if the money's there which makes um, sense anyway yeah i bet alex would direct it probably alex gertzman right no i knew that's who you meant <laughs> i wasn't wondering which alex you might be speaking of i think it's gonna happen but it's not guaranteed you know because the other side of this is now she's out of their price range she's too busy it's over um but right I, but I'm i don't not... think that's the case yeah, me either yeah um a little more Oscar stuff, because I love the Oscars. So during the In Memoriam segment with Lenny Kravitz playing the music, um, Nichelle Nichols got a nice moment up there, which I appreciated. Louise Fletcher and Kirstie Alley were also in that in that segment. Uh, and there was a lot of talk that Paul Sorvino wasn't. And others. There were others. I mean, they had this like, click the QR code and you can see the other people, which was kind of cruel. Um, like David Warner should have been in there. I mean, there are a bunch of others, but I would say those are the big, the big ones. Didn't they issue some kind of statement that, you know, this happens every year, doesn't it? I mean, Oh it's no, just... it's every year. There's always, everybody's mad. And sometimes you see hilarious things, people who are mad and the person they named, you're like, I've never heard of that person anyway. So yeah. there's always, or that be... person was never in a movie. They're more TV person. Right. You know? Or that person isn't dead. No, I don't think that <laughs> happened. <laughs> We should do our own memorial thing at the end of each year. Trek movie, maybe. Yeah, it's sad, but last year we did lose a lot. That's for sure. Yeah, there are a lot. Of, there are a lot. And this year we've already lost some. So yeah. let's move things over to a more cheerful topic. I was going to say, speaking of dead, let's talk about the next Star Trek movie. Um, <laughs> well, it, you know, it's still not any it's not dead. more or less dead. The last time we heard from Chris Pine, he was somewhat morose and frustrated about the movie and a kind of random thing he's out promoting Dungeons and Dragons movie he you know was answering questions from the internet and one of the questions was how many Star Trek movies have you done and he's like I've done three and I want to do he said hopefully many more which is kind of he's previously said he 
he likes this idea of playing Kirk through his whole life, like yeah. kind of Shatner-esque at different ages. He thinks it would be really cool to do that. Well, it, it was cool when Shatner did it, so sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it would be cool. I, th- I, I think he's a really good actor. I would love to see a deeper version of Kirk from him. You know, he could do it. The question is, you know, we still don't know what the hell's up with Paramount. You know, I, right. I think something's happening, but it's just there's so many moving parts and, you know, it's money. It's JJ. They want to make a billion dollars, you know, so they've got to kind of get enough financing people to agree that half a billion's enough. And, you know, so hopefully that happens. Right. Let's uh, move on to a little Strange New Worlds update. I spoke to Sally Rose Gooding, who plays Uhura, of course, and Melissa Navia. This is in promotion of the upcoming season one release on Blu-ray and DVD, which is next week. And we had a nice little chat. It was no real spoilers. I mean, mainly it's just when they talk about season two, we've heard this before. It's like bigger, it's bolder, it's wilder. They're, they're using the AR wall more. They're getting better at it. They're doing crazy stuff. They didn't say big swings, the phrase, but I felt like it was implied. It was definitely (laughs) implied. The only specific thing, which I think we kind of knew, was Melissa talked about how she gets kind of her own episode as Ortegas, and we get into this soldier backstory of hers. Well, what I liked that she said when I watched her interview was that, or listened to it, actually, was that she said... There was all this background on Ortegas's life as a soldier that she knew about and the writers and producers knew, knew about, but the viewers didn't see it because it wasn't on screen. And But it informed her performance to the point that once you get it in season two, it will you'll look back at season one and it will work better for you. Like you'll see, you'll see it. You'll understand her more. Melissa is one of those people that wants to know everything she wanted the graphics people to explain how her console worked and even make graphics when you couldn't see them. I mean, she's kind of obsessive about this stuff. She's it's not that she's method, but she's invested, I guess. So, no, I think that's great. I mean, that was one of the things that I think endeared her to a lot of fans early on was knowing that she wanted to know how her console works. <laughs> Well, and she also, like as an actor, you want to do the same thing consistently when you get the same command. Right, which wasn't always the case in Star Trek. <laughs> no. <laughs> Celia, I talked to her about Bruce, which is, you know, kind of sad, obviously. Um, and she said she knew since the beginning, like he did, that he was going to get killed off. I don't know if everyone else did, but she knew because their stories were so intertwined. Something, I don't know if this is a hint or just her saying it, but she says, I hope we can continue to find ways to have his presence as part uh, to have his presence. Well, so there are two things. One is that they've already said that that Bruce is going to get more roles and that he'll be back on the show. Like they've yeah. said that. But maybe she's talking about Hammer, the character. And that could be anything from just stuff she says and things that happen to her character or flashbacks or who knows. But at least, you know, Hammer is not going to be forgotten for her right. as a character. It's because he's so important to her. Um, so and anyway, me, I'm still <laughs> not happy that he died. I thought he was such a fascinating guy. We also have an exclusive clip with Celia from the Blu-ray and Matt will be reviewing the set probably next week. 
Yeah, we'll let you know when it's up because those reviews always make me want to own it. In other merchandise news, it's a big week for IDW. They released three comic books this week, which is the first time ever that's ever happened. One of which launches an entirely new series called Star Trek Defiant, which is going to be an ongoing series. And it's actually a spinoff of their other flagship ongoing series that's just simply called Star Trek. That's the one with Cisco coming back from the temple um, and Beverly is in that one and, you know, a bunch of other legacy characters, Tom Paris and Scotty. It's crazy. In this one, the Defiant one, Worf leads a crew on the Defiant that includes Lore and Bro Laren of it and uh, Spock. Kind of a crazy combo there, right? That's fun. It's just a great time to be a comic book person um, with Star Trek. Or, and if you aren't already, maybe you want to check it out because it's some there's some good stuff. Let's move on to Picard. Sure. I hear it's a very popular show. That's the word on the street. <laughs> I mean, I do wonder how we're living in the age where there's no ratings anymore. You could get some ratings for stuff from Netflix, but for the most part, you really don't know how popular things are. But I feel like th- this show is more popular than previous seasons. More people are talking about it. We're getting more listeners to this podcast. More mainstream outlets are talking about it so i think it's i mean it's bigger buzz and just a huge response every thursday when there's a new episode social goes crazy but i do think the reach is greater yeah they're doing mainstream shows too you know people are popping up on talk shows and it's a big deal yeah jerry uh jerry ryan was on the talk this week and she was talking about terry she was saying she wants to do a spinoff yeah it's good stuff so a little bit of picking up from stuff from last week. Terry Metalis clarified that Vatic is a changeling. It's not just her hand, which I think we talked about on the pod last There's week. been some confusion about the slicing <laughs> off of the hand. <laughs> he hasn't explained the slicing of the hand. I mean, you, you said that for a minute you thought maybe a changeling lives on her arm or something like that. <laughs> sure. But that, apparently that it wasn't just you. And he had to kind of go to Twitter and say, no, she's changeling. Well, the point was it's a form of communication. And I feel like if they'd, because she just did it in a weird sort of bowl, Maybe that was like, maybe if it lit up or did something <laughs> technical, that would have been clearer. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's fine. It didn't ruin yeah. anything for anybody, but it did cause a lot of confusion. Yeah. It looked more like magic. It looked like something from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I got a very Harry Potter kind of vibe. Yeah. There were no flashing lights. We're in Star Trek. There's got to be flashing lights. Right. Or it sounds it definitely sounds because it's gotten louder over the years. Yes. Yes. <laughs> He also then added to that her henchmen are changelings too. Yeah. Which he didn't have to say, but he's like, okay, well, there you go. So that kills off the theory, my theory, that they were Geminar 2.0. Right. We don't know why they wear masks. Maybe to hide that they have that virus and their faces look all messed up. Right. Like the, her face is messed up. Their faces are probably super messed up. Like her boss, who may or may not be a changeling. Right. We we don't know that. He didn't come out and say that. So, and of course, you know, we had a very fun discussion last time about Odo's Bucket for our spinoff podcast, Odo's Bucket. <laughs> um, and a lot of fans, I, first of all, he's been 
I've seen more since we even saw this. But so first he said, well, this this changeling is going to have a 12 issue backstory for IDW that gets into his Bajoran like bucket construction. You'll see it on Deep Space Eleven. It's tribal. But I've seen him saying other things to other people about it, too. So I think the attention on it, he's trying to have some fun with, but is obviously wishing that it wasn't such a big deal to so many people. His latest thing he landed on is that because they showed Odo's bucket on screen on Shaw's pad, it clearly is in the Starfleet database. And so when the changeling got on board and wanted a bucket... It was a available program to replicate. Right. Which kind of is similar to my theory that in the Great Link, everybody found out about Odo's bucket and thought it was so cool that they all wanted one. There, there is the side thing, which is changelings don't really like using buckets. They like just kind of hanging out, you know, being right. all, you know, gooey. So, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's such a it's a very typical fun Star Trek fan thing to get obsessed with. And at least everybody who's talking about it is having fun with it. I don't see people who are genuinely outraged about Odo's bucket. They're mostly no. just laughing. If anyone says, Oh well, this show ruined my childhood because of Odo's bucket. <laughs> Odo's bucket. Then you know <laughs> then, then they know. can have the podcast name. I feel sorry for you. <laughs> The other fun thing he said in an interview, people have brought up, you know, conspiracy, the bugs from conspiracy, which everyone was talking about might be the villains. And he said he did consider it for a hot minute. But he the reason they, you know, he dismissed it was that they kill their hosts, which they don't necessarily. But I guess sometimes they do. I mean, they don't. If you kill the queen, then the other infected people are now freed and they don't die. I think it would have been cool, but I think Changelings is better. In a way, it almost doesn't matter. It's like, you know, people are being taken over and you don't know who to trust. I think it works better because of Worf and the Dominion War, as opposed to just being one single episode. There's kind of a bigger connection to the yeah, Dominion there's a, and the Dominion War. So There's a richer, deeper history. Yeah. Um, and for anyone who needs to brush up, um, the Ready Room had a nice little package about the history of Changelings that included that started with our first mention of them and even included um, when they turned up on Disco. That's right. Um, with a totally different effect, Terry's implied that we're going to understand why. I mean, you and I talked about this last week. They kind of have a kind of meaty, weird Very animation. <laughs> I said liquid prosciutto. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apparently, there's a reason for that, too. So. Because I, th- I thought the effect on Discovery was kind of cool. It was more sandy, but it was it was a, it was a good effect, and it's definitely they're not using that. So there's some reasoning here. We can right. Only assume. Well, something clearly's been happening to them, so I look forward to finding out what that is. Another thing that has been confusing is the Titan. It's it's a refit. It's a new ship. It's it, it's got it's old a, parts. It, and- yeah. <laughs> it's it's new, it's old. And so Dave Blass put out a tweet where he showed like this concept image that they worked with and th- this backstory that basically explains that they started with Riker's ship and essentially stripped it for parts because they are certain things you can't replicate. And since the attack on Mars, they haven't rebuilt the shipyards. And so... This saves, and that's why they had the old nacelles, which is why Shaw was useful in that scene. 
So it kind of all fits together. And I like every- all of that. Yeah. So that's great. That they, I mean, what's great is this isn't something that just came up with yesterday. They even explained, you know, the, the, the whole thing about the holodecks and Blast well. put out this video showing all the times on Voyager where they said the holodecks are isolated. Now, my point on that is, well, how is that a good thing? You yeah, know? that was stupid, too, <laughs> is, would be my point. I don't blame this team for that bad choice, but it's a bad choice. It doesn't make any sense. Right. But this ship was designed well after. I mean, just because something was that way on Voyager doesn't mean you should keep on doing it that way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But what's fun is that they are listening. Let, let's let's face it. Let's think of your typical episode of Discovery where there's 72 things that bother people maybe afterwards. <laughs> and they never do this. So Picard team are actually digging in to these little things. Well, there's also a reason they reached back and got the pros who worked on the older shows too, because they wanted all this stuff thought through. And the thing that kills me is all this gorgeous work on these beautiful sets. And you don't, you don't get to see them a lot on screen because (laughs) of it's so dark. And what's nice is that all these guys are posting pictures on social. So if you do want to get a closer look, you can get one. And I only wish I could see their beautiful work more clearly on the screen. If you have a really fancy TV, which I don't, I don't either. But I have seen one episode like on a just an amazingly ridiculous expensive TV and it and it looked better. It looked like, oh yeah, okay, that's what it's supposed to look like if you have a three thousand dollar TV. So Right, but you can't make your TV for those people. Yeah. So Because it's not fair. Although last week's episode apparently was released improperly, you know, and Terry was actually out there on Twitter saying, We know this one is bad and we're fixing it and they fixed it. So if, if you watch it on Thursday, you may want to rewatch it because I think by Friday they fixed it. That's got to be the most frustrating thing. They put so much work into it and then the mess up happens at the very end. So let's talk about episode 305, Imposters. What is your top level overview of Imposters? It's good. It's not the best episode of the season. It kind of, kind of starts us off on a new arc, but I enjoyed it. Obviously, fantastic guest star. Oh, yes. Some good plot stuff, some good mystery stuff. I thought the pacing wasn't great and the tone, Some there was like tonal switches. Like, I'll probably be alone in this. I wasn't a huge fan of the scene inside the turbo lift with Sean, but uh, I enjoyed it. I'll say very good, but not great. Because up till now, I think we've had four great episodes. This is a good episode i think maybe the rafi wharf storyline i just feel like they've overstayed their welcome on metallus it's starting to feel like they could have moved on to daystrom but they had to go through one more criminal underworld figure to get that you know to move on and and there was good stuff in that storyline but i guess i'm kind of done with the criminal underworld of metallus prime so yeah i do occasionally i mean i really really liked the episode actually i probably liked it more than you did I like that everything's picking up speed. I like that the way this begins a new chapter. And I like the way that a lot of the plot stuff was covered beautifully through character at the same time. And they don't have to stop one to do the other, which I very much appreciate. But I do think that 
it's hard not to feel sometimes, and this is with the 10 forward set and the underworld, that they just wanted to like make the most out of those <laughs> locations <laughs> and use them longer than they needed to. Budgets are budgets, I get it, but it shouldn't be... I don't know if I'm thinking about that because I used to work in production or or whether it would occur to me naturally. I didn't have any problem with them using the 10 forward set last week, but this week I'm like, really? Again? Like, I mean, it just seemed just like an excuse to use the 10 forward set again. Yeah, which is to me what it felt like. I mean, last week it was partly to use it again, but it was also they wanted the flashbacks to not feel so much like they were in another place so they could tie those things together. I mean, they could have thrown in a little techno babble where she could say no one can monitor us in here because of the, you know, blotty blah. Right. You know, hollow emitters or whatever. Um, or something, but no, she just decided to slink them in there because, oh, look, there's here's a set we could use. Let's go um, on the holodeck. And, and the <laughs> convenient safeties off toggle, which made me laugh because I also thought of all the things like talk about not learning that your holodecks shouldn't be on a separate power system. There's no reason the holodeck should ever have the safeties off. That's That should not exist. And the button shouldn't be, I mean, it shouldn't be so easy. Bloop. There's no like, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> you know? Like when and I you... delete a Word document. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so That's not Terry or Star Trek Picard. That's Star Trek. That's like they've always oh, yeah. just always done that. And it's such a weird choice. And, I, and, you know, Lower Decks makes fun of it. Lower Decks is great at making fun of those things. So we're already in it. Have we even said the name yet? Michelle Forbes is back as Rolaren is kind of teased because, you know, in the, in the, the, the synopsis, you know, the, a lot of people were guessing based on the synopsis that, you know, but it was clear there was going to be kind of a big person coming back, which we, Terry has been teasing for a while. And I, I thought it was great. She's such a good actress. I mean, yeah. Anytime I see her in anything, I think she's fantastic. And look, they, you know, Star Trek Picard has a bit of a history of bringing back characters and killing them. But I felt like this felt different to me. This was a worthy death. It was a worthy death that tied into everything that was going on. Like when they, I mean, Hugh, the big, the big, like Icheb was just, I don't know what they decided to do there. And then Hugh was, he had survived all of this and they just didn't need to kill him. It was just, it just felt... I mean, almost like Tasha and Armas. Like, why? There was so it was so pointless. But with this, everything she did was I was riveted by her. I was moved. I cried at the very end. Her relationship with Picard was all that this is what I was actually curious about. So all that stuff is in their history. I went back and I rewatched her first and last episodes of TNG. Because I was actually very familiar with the middle ones, because some of she's in some of my favorite, like she's rascals, in, like rascals, <laughs> but conundrum. I have a, a soft spot in my heart for conundrum, and the one she does with Jordy, the next phase, I think it's called. So she's yeah. in a she's in a in disaster. She's in a lot of good ones, but none of those are really playing into her arc as a character. Those are just Star Trek episodes, right? And the Picard, well, except for her and Riker and conundrum, which I really wanted them to acknowledge that, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Picard, it was all those things. And 
he he was angry and he was betrayed. And Guinan is the one who facilitated their relationship in the first place. When he wouldn't even listen to her, he wouldn't even talk to her at the very beginning. And then Guinan said, she's my friend. And then he went, okay. And he listened to her. And then the whole thing at the end, it was so personal to him. So all of this worked so beautifully and him coming around and realizing and saying, I see you, which I thought would feel cliche. You know, as I was watching it, I was like, this is moving me more than I think it should. But it it really did. And she did a tremendous job. And I thought it was a beautiful arc. It was very heightened. It was because we never saw this kind of emotion from Jean-Luc Picard, really. All of his dealings with her were fairly professional. This was at on a different level. It was clear that, you know, he saw her as a daughter, you know, as he a was, mentee. He was very personal with her. Like in her final episode, it starts where she's coming back to the ship and she's at a party for her and he orders her to report to the bridge. But really, he's just waiting in the hallway because he knows she's uncomfortable. So he did have a very personal relationship with her. True. I, and and I, this is one of those things where Next Gen wasn't one of those shows, but there were elements of the, that kind of serialization and emotion on the show at times. And, and she's one of those characters. But they, they took that to a new level on Picard, is my point. You know, yes. something that, that you, you didn't see. And I it was, I guess, I'm curious, someone who has never seen the next generation because they did throw in a lot of exposition. Riker was there to be Mr. Exposition um, for the most part. Um, right. And Picard said the last time you saw her, she pulled a phaser on you. I mean, that's actually the person I think you should check with is your brother. Who's like a casual fan, right? Yeah, I should ask him. Um, I'm curious to see what someone who's, who watched some, I, he watched next gen, right? Yeah. So someone, but who didn't, who doesn't remember everything from all of it the way that we do um, views that like if they got the same level of emotional intensity, it's clearly these two have a lot of history. And if you don't know that history does, does, does this land? And then again, does it matter this whole, we are fans and it's working for us. And you know, so who cares? Um, but uh, I am curious how it's working for the normals out there. But no, I I loved it. What I think the best thing about this is they really kept you guessing on if she was a changeling or not. Yeah, especially with the cutting and she's showing, look, I'm bleeding. It just at the just as Beverly is discovering, like that doesn't mean anything. And she really wants to know about Jack. Who else wants to know about Jack? Here's the thing that I thought was sort of weird was like she wants to know about Jack, so she talks to Picard, but she doesn't. Nobody's interested in Beverly. Which brings me, I need to bring up this bigger problem, which is that on this show, and I love the show, women don't talk to each other. And there are very few scenes with women talking to each other. There's a whole scene with the two doctors there where Dr. Oak actually doesn't say anything. And then another scene, she gets one line. But there are no scenes of women talking to each other. We had La Forge and Seven early on. I think it's a bit of a problem. And I think that Seven... We're losing seven a little bit, too. She is fading into the background. They gave her some busy work to do with Jack. You know, they've got too many characters. I love the characters. I love who they have. But it's just, it's it's back to one of Next Generation's problems, too. And I was really hoping that that would be over. And already Beverly's improved. 
and she's doing all these things, but she's still off to the side doing her thing and talking to herself or to people who don't respond. As as Gates McFadden told us in our last week's podcast, the show is called Star Trek Picard. If you think about all five episodes, every episode is about Jean-Luc Picard in conflict with someone. So in episode one, it was kind of Shaw. You know, there was the episode with Riker and him in conflict, Jack and him in conflict. Yep. This one, it's Roe and him in conflict. No, he's the star. And every episode, someone is his kind of foil. Beverly is a supporting player in in that because she's helping the investigation. So at least she's doing science stuff. And then she had some good stuff with Jack at the end in yeah. the final scene. And I don't know when we want to get to it, but there was some pretty important stuff in that scene. Yes. So so I thought it was a better episode for her than it was for Riker. He just had two great episodes. He's kind it's, he's it's just starting to wear on me after five episodes. Yeah, I get it. That's all. It's not this particular one wasn't the worst offender, but I'm hoping I would like to see some more women in maybe in some of the incidental roles, like the criminals have all been men. It goes back to the Ron Moore thing that I heard him say a long time ago, which is take what you expect in that role and flip it. So if you're used to seeing like an old male judge, make it a woman. If you're used to seeing a pretty young woman school teacher, make it a man. Do something to change your incidental side roles from the expectation because it instantly makes the scene more interesting. So that's all. And now I'm done. Okay. We can talk about this episode, which I liked very much. But let's talk about Jack. You wanted to talk about what's going on with Jack. Yeah, that's the kind of the other big thing happening is Jack's visions are becoming manifest. And that's a big question of why are they getting worse? Is something influencing him? Well, it's also keep in mind, he also wasn't being pursued by all these people until recently. Yeah, but it feels like it's ramping up. You know, That's so what I'm I saying. I'm saying it's all the timing is... Just as he's starting to manifest these things that are new to him, we know from Beverly that this also coincides with him being pursued by all these people. So some, so however, whatever's happening, whoever's after him knows this is happening, I think is what I'm trying to say. So the, the female voice, I mean, we still can't work out everything, but we could hear this female voice saying, find me, hear me, connect us. And come home. And this is ramping up as we get closer to this Frontier Day thing. And so his whole fight scene was straight out of the Bourne identity. There's something, some internal programming, which he's not aware of, and something is triggering it. And I feel like it has something to do with Frontier Day. You know, we've had some theories on the site. He's a secret changeling. He doesn't know he's a changeling. He's a second 31 op operative. There's some kind of Borg situation inside of him. Right. There's really no way to know. The female voice could be, is it, is it Beverly? Is it Seven? Is it the Borg Queen? Is it Vatic? Who's the female? I don't think we're supposed to know who the female voice is. No, we're not supposed to know. Or what those vines are for. Or red, they love the color red. Right. His eyes are turning red. And um, also, but the thing is, remember when Seven shot La fake LaForge, her eyes were red. That leans into the secret changeling thing. Because I don't think he is a changeling and he's, you know hiding it you know but he could i don't be... think he's hiding i think he doesn't know yeah he could be a changeling and he doesn't know but then then that begs the question had it like well if he's a changeling he was swapped obviously but he does seem to have a deep knowledge of who jack is and then the question would be when did something happen 
or if he's been something since birth, that gets weird because Bev was clearly there for his birth. Right, because that the other theory is that he's a some kind of augment, and that's the see, you know, because in our interview with Gates, she implied there's more to the, his story that affects her decision to keep his birth yeah. secret. Yeah. So that and that would make sense. An interesting thing in their conversation at the end is she talks about nightmares he had when he was a kid. So these visions he's having, I'm betting he had them when he was a little kid. He's forgotten about it, but that this has been this is something that's been inside of him for, you know, his whole life. Whatever right. it is. It's not some recent thing that someone injected him with right. something. There's something fundamental about him, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the big bad, Vatic's boss, wants it bad, whatever it is. Right. And now Starfleet really wants him. Well, the imposters, imposters taking over Starfleet want him. Because Roe also said, like, I've been hearing all kinds of talk about him, too. And I've been told to retrieve him. So she knew Picard had a son, too. I know. I was like, <laughs> how does she know his Picard's son? How did she know that? How did Picard not know she was back in Starfleet? That was kind of a weird thing that he didn't know that. Well, she was covert, whatever, and he's retired. How's that? It it almost felt like he didn't even know she was imprisoned. Yes, agreed. Which is seems impossible because he was on active duty at the time. Yep. And he would have been a witness or at least have to give a statement for her court martial. So it's just, I don't know, that doesn't add up. But I mean, there were all lots, there's lots of those little things. Like, why didn't, you know, when she said, I've got these two operatives, it's like, by the way, it's Mr. Worf and Rafi. Yeah, why didn't she, (laughs) like, I was like, she might not know that he's, like, friends with Rafi, but (laughs) she would know She's an intelligence, I mean, of course she I don't know, whatever, but you could, I could come up with something, but Worf, for sure, it was so weird. Mr. Worf. But I, I have two operatives, but I'd like it to be a surprise. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You'll find out later. It's going to be a really cool scene coming up at the end after I die. (laughs) I mean, it was a really cool scene. Which is always the thing with this show of like, yeah, we're going to do that because it's a cool scene. And and you only think about it later. You don't think about it at the time. I know. I just I feel like some of these they could avoid and still get their cool scene. That's all. Fair enough. You really didn't know until they had their holodeck argument. And it got emotional, and they're like, well, we can feel pain over this, so obviously neither right. of us is a fake. Well, such a good scene. Beautiful. Yeah. Apparently there's no way to detect them anymore unless you cut them into little dissect pieces. Dissect them, yes. <laughs> you have to dissect them now. And Beverly said something. She said they could replicate blood plasma, so you know, slicing in your hand doesn't work, because they could fake that. But there's no DNA, and it's like, well... Can't like any tricorder just scan someone's DNA? Um, I mean, it just seems. But wouldn't you specifically need to ask it to do that? Like, it's not like you're walking around with tricorder scanning people's DNA. I know, but it seems like. And they can replicate internal organs, which would cover the scans. Like the scan's not checking their DNA. It's just doing a scan. But shouldn't it? Like when you're, when Seven says there's, there's the protocol that does like the body scan. But it's like, yep, that guy's got organs. It doesn't bother to check if there's DNA or even his blood type. Well, why Uh, would it? (laughs) Why would it, though? Well, because there's more than one type of changeling. There's androids. There's, you know, why not check? Well, androids, internal organs would cut all internal organ like a scan like that would cover. No, because androids have 
fake internal organs uh, too. Wouldn't you scan an android and you would know that it was an android? Not unless you looked for DNA. It seems to me like looking for DNA would be a good idea. Is, well, is it? clearly. So, <laughs> all I'm saying is, upon reflection, I think Starfleet needs to update their protocols. <laughs> and, uh, and procedures. So we now have three different <laughs> things that they really need to work on. <laughs> you saw that chart where she thinks like half of the upper echelons of Starfleet command are, are changelings. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's big. As, as I think John Luke said, this is much bigger than we realize the top of the chart doesn't. So we, so it sounds like Janeway is in charge of Starfleet, right? Yeah. She sounds like she's a big muckety muck. That's who you'd go to. And, and Roe can't get to her. <laughs> Through her gatekeepers. Yes. Ensign Harry Kim. I know. I was wondering who the gatekeeper <laughs> Naomi Wildman. Yeah. <laughs> she finally gets to be the captain's assistant. <laughs> okay, here's my nitpick of the week. And 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 this is easy to explain away, but after Picard says, you know, Admiral Janeway, so you assume that's the head of Starfleet, he said, or Chancellor something. I couldn't make it out. Yeah. Um, Federation doesn't have a Chancellor, but has a president. Right. Chancellor what? Klingon Chancellor? Well, yeah, but that makes no sense in that in the context of her investigation into Starfleet. Why would she contact the head of the Klingon Empire? I, I mean, obviously now because it's canon, there's now a chancellor, a Federation chancellor, sure. kind of like the prime minister or the head of the Senate or you know the the Speaker of the House or something like that. <laughs> so we could add that to the canon. Do you want to have my crazy nitpick? But then I think we should talk more about the show. Sure. What's your crazy nitpick? There was another missing hyphen this week. Oh, my God. It was on screen. It said sickbay check-in. I want to talk about that moment anyway. But sickbay check-in when when she sent Picard the test, you know, the so-called test results. Check-in needs a hyphen. What do these people have against hyphens? I need to have a chat with them. And they're missing hyphens. Anyway. I mean, those were like... It was written really large. That's my bigger <laughs> issue was that he said this is private. And then he goes and it's like this gigantic message. <laughs> Those screens are huge. And like Rose standing right there. I mean, yeah. So that was, wasn't... you know, it was big enough for us to see, but it was also big enough for somebody three rooms away to see. So yeah, I think <laughs> it, it was obvious that it worked in the script. But when you watched it, you're like, there's nothing secret about that message. She's an Intel operative. She's she saw that. Yeah, so. she's she's standing right behind him. Yeah. I mean, I love, again, a great moment. And there is a way to do that and have her send him the information and all of that without it being so gigantic. Like in case somebody forgot their reading glasses. <laughs> so he does need reading glasses. So the, so the system noticed he wasn't wearing his reading glasses. <laughs> And so it used like old, old person, you know, like with the books where you could buy those books and the large print books. Large They're print called book large print. print. Yeah. So <laughs> I got one by accident once from the library and I was so excited when it came. <laughs> so let's talk about Shaw. Shaw's, so, you know, because last episode, they kind of buried the hatchet, the dipshit from Chicago thing. Oh, I didn't feel like they buried the hatchet. Well, that's what I'm saying. That the, the hatchet is still in hand, I guess is my point. Yes, you know, very he, much so. He put the hatchet down last episode, but then he picked it up again this, this week. He rested it long enough to help save the ship. Yeah. and But he didn't change his opinion of them. 
Obviously not. Obviously not. And I bought it. I loved when he said, he said, as a courtesy, because of the harrowing ordeal that we all survived together, I'll step outside so the three of you can get your bullshit stories. Well, see, in a way, that shows that's hatchet bearing territory. He's he's actually helping. He's being a good guy. Of course, he well, he's not. He just told them he contacted Starfleet. He just gleefully told them that he contacted Starfleet. And that's because he's fa- he's a rule guy. That's of no, course but he, he did. He didn't. He said it with glee. He That's he true. did it because he's a rule guy, and he did it because he was like good. The glee he was in the turbo lift when took my show. Oh, when he starts humming, <laughs> <laughs> that was the true glee. That was when he was really enjoying it. It 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 felt to me like that scene was essentially recreating the the dinner scene, though, where he's being just a real jerk and dig, and and basically saying all of your greatest hits are actually not greatest hits. Right. And Picard had the same line. And so, I mean, yeah, it's fun that like, oh, I know what episode he's talking about. But I didn't feel that scene was necessary. I would agree that they could have cut that scene and it wouldn't have changed anything in the episode. I agree with you that it was covering the same territory. Didn't offer anything new. But I did like that moment near the end where Riker was like, you don't have to believe us, but believe your own eyes. Which yes. I thought was such a great moment where he's like, dude, look, the ship is about to fire on us. Like, look at what you're look at what's actually happening. If we're believing that he's going to make it through the whole season, then they're they're giving Shaw more time to finally come onto the, the good guy team. He's now halfway there, essentially, because there's evidence of both sides, as right. it were. But that was a bit of a turn for him. But the weird thing is, so Rose's plan was get all the crew onto the Intrepid, but she also thinks the Intrepid is infested with changelings, and she was right. So all those you know, former Titan people are probably going to get converted into changelings now and killed. Didn't she just doom half or more than half the crew of the Titan? Maybe unless she thinks they don't have a reason to, like it's, if. They don't maybe need to get all those lower level people, but yeah, it it wasn't thought through. Clearly the captain of that ship and, and members of the bridge crew who we never saw. Right. Were changelings because what they were doing. Right. I mean, it's, it, it's a time and money saver to never show the bridge or the captain. But it worked. It worked really well for the story, I thought. The way that ship was, it was scarier that we kind of never saw what was going on. It was a black box, yeah. essentially. Like, what is going on on that ship? Cool design, by the way. I liked it. And it was chilling when uh, she didn't get a response from them after that bomb was planted. That was a nice chilling moment. Roe is on her shuttle. It could be that that's that at some t- time... You know, while they were there, the changelings on the ship made their move, took over the bridge, took over the ship. You know, maybe they were acting normally earlier, but the changelings, you know, there was like an internal coup on that ship. Right. Uh, Because they also beamed over two changelings to help the other two, even though Jack basically killed them in like two seconds. Yep. Reminded uh, me, I hate to say it, of uh, season one when she got activated. At the very beginning. Yes. Yeah. And suddenly killed everybody. Right. Because she was a secret robot. She didn't know she was. And she didn't know she was. Same thing. Let's talk about the Worf and Rafi 
diversion. You know, even though I think they've overstayed their welcome, it was still a fun little story. You you definitely got some growth from both characters. Or I Worf is kind of training Rafi to be calmer, more patient. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not fully rubbing off. He's definitely got that warrior monk thing going. Yes, but he was also able to communicate to her what was going to go on for that fight. So I liked that. When they were forced to fight each other, he said something to her. She got what he was saying. They're now working very well as a team. Yes. The What did you think of the Kryn character, the, the Vulcan gangster? I, I don't understand a Vulcan gangster. Um, I love, I mean, I love that actor. I know him from Oz, which he was terrific on. Every time I see him in something, he's good. But, um, but you know why there is a poetry to him being cast in, in this role. Well, I know there's a whole 12 monkeys thing. He always referred to his himself as brother of James Cole. And the actor who played James Cole on 12 monkeys played. Oh, Snead. okay. Well, that's fun for 12 monkeys fans. Yeah. So I need to watch that show. And they grew up on the mean streets of the post-apocalypse. So it's all very connected. But yeah, I didn't get his like it's a lot, you know, in a utopia, you'd need crime. Yeah, I didn't get any of that. None of that stuff made any sense to me. And it so, didn't. none of it seemed logical to me at all. Growing up with the Ferengi also seemed really weird. But the whole, yeah, I just thought it didn't, none of that connected. And I thought he didn't need to be Vulcan. You could have just avoided that by not making him Vulcan. I kind of liked it. I just, it, again, as you were saying, do something different because there really, it was, it was kind of a predictable scenario. And I thought that was a fun element to make him a Vulcan. And I do like the actor. Yeah, I like the actor. I was very excited to see him in Star Trek. And I liked when Rafi goes, ye old fight to the death. How original. <laughs> <laughs> Did you spot the mobile emitter before? No. Yeah. Did you? I wish I did. Yeah, I saw it. And I'm like, oh, this is, uh, I can see what's coming. Um, I also liked her saying to Worf, can you not put holes on my floor every time you want to make a point? Because he's like, run, this knife goes flying and it's very dramatic. So I, they're, they are an excellent duo, these two. The one kind of plot thing that came out of this is, I think they mentioned it three times, that there's a super sophisticated AI in control of yes. security. It's like, oh, I wonder what that is. And <laughs> there's only two possibilities. It's either lore or it's Moriarty because we know Lore's there already. Although Lore, I thought was what they really stole, but maybe this guy doesn't know that, but it, they, they were definitely wanted you to know super yes. sophisticated AI is. In oh, control. they made it very clear. <laughs> so um, expect another thing that we're familiar with. Um, I, I can only hope. So it is in the next episode because episode six, um, so, no, and they're clearly going to Daystrom. They have yeah. their now they can get in. So we're ready to go. And I'm re- and we're ready for them to leave where they are. You know, it's a great set and they got five episodes out of it. So <laughs> or actually, I'm, I guess they got four because they didn't do it last week. So let's go to a new set and stay there for a while. But <laughs> that'll be fine. But no, you can tell the stories are converging. Like, so now finally we have Worf in front of Picard. And Riker, I love that whole thing with the earring. I thought that was such a nice touch and a cool part of the story. And now we're seeing them moving closer towards each other. And we're all getting so excited because everybody knows, like, eventually we're going to get everybody in one room. 
and it's going to take a while, but it's going to happen. So that was nice. And the question is, is Daystrom in any way associated with the uh, Fleet Museum? Because that's where we know Jordy is. Because it's time to start bringing in some new characters, some some old characters, but new to the show. Uh, right. So um, I can only hope that we're going to see at least Brent or LeVar next episode. But I'm almost like 99% sure we're going to see Moriarty in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my bet for the week. All right. I'm trying to think if there's any other big plot stuff that we've missed, but I think we've, I think we've covered most of it. Did we learn anything? Like last week we learned Vatic has a boss and a lot of things. We learned that the changelings have evolved. That's the word that Beverly used. Yes. An evolution. And that they've spread like wildfire. (laughs) That they're everywhere. Which does lean towards, because we, you know, we had the article on the side of, who is the boss and there's all sorts of theories but we start saying maybe it's just more changelings maybe it's changelings because changelings don't like working with other people they hate the solids so why would they work with someone else so maybe the weird face guy is just another creepy changeling and it could all be from that virus or it could be something else and the Frontier Day, you know, they, they they put they put another button on Frontier Day, which hasn't come up a lot, but it's coming up soon now. And it's now starting to sound like this whole celebration, or at least how it's being organized, was, you know, planned by the changelings to have all of Starfleet. Now this seems reckless. <laughs> yes, it does. She <laughs> said the whole fleet's gonna be there. I mean, this is the old adage of there's no other ship in the sector but you. And it's like, God, like Starfleet really needs more ships. Now it sounds like I'm just guessing here. Frontier Day happens and they're going to do whatever they're going to do. And they're going to wipe out most of the fleet, if not all of the fleet. And all that will be left is, oh, wait, I just figured it out. All that will be left are the ships in in the museum and the Titan. That's going to be it. They're going to have to cancel Picard's speech. <laughs> but could, I mean, there's no way he's going to do it. But the Enterprise A, God, I'd love to see that flying again. Because we know that's in the museum. We know the Voyagers of the museum because that's in the credits. Right, right. So we know they're get, we're getting there eventually. And there's going to be a reason that we need an old ship. It's all adding up now to ship action. But it does seem pretty reckless to put the whole fleet out there get wiped out for some ceremonial hoo-ha like it just seems kind of pointless yeah no one i mean like the u.s military no one does that you know even the russians you know those old famous parades you know there were there were still troops at the border right when they did that (laughs) they didn't pull them all back to parade past red square so that just seems stupid but it does give you the opportunity to uh need one last ship you're the last ship in the fleet well and the changelings are the ones planning it so they're making that bad decision yeah fair enough so i'm just you <laughs> but, know trying but, to be but reasonable here let's assume uh admiral janeway isn't a changeling one would hope that she might notice oh that's not a smart thing to do well, but maybe they gave her some other problem to work on <laughs> <laughs> they found chakotay again chakotay's missing again that's it <laughs> 
Okay. Well, now we're just getting, now we're just being silly. Now we're getting silly. Speaking of silly, I did think it was silly when Crusher goes, and we have LaForge here to verify that this isn't her. LaForge, could you officially verify that this body isn't you? Why would you need that? (laughs) I think they just wanted to show her throwing up. But I was like, why? That was such a silly, that was a silly thing to have her there. All the other episodes have found good ways to have some humor, and that's what's missing from this episode. There wasn't a lot of good, funny stuff. Yeah, Rafi got the only funny lines that were, well, and and uh, Shaw. But some of the Shaw stuff didn't land. So the the get your story together thing was was good for sure. I even look. I liked him saying, "Just feeling chipper." I like. I didn't need the scene, but it was funny. Yeah, no, that, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. He's Todd is great. There was definitely nothing funny about what was going on between Picard and Roe. No. He spoke Bajoran. He spoke Bajoran. It's improved since the last time. I still just wanted Riker and Roe to have a just a moment. I wanted a look, a look between them or something that was like, "We did it." <laughs> yep. <laughs> I did think, you know, it's funny, you talked about the pacing when we first started, and I did like, there's something I liked about the pacing, which was that they, there was like some good intercutting of like Worf is giving the information, but we're also seeing their arrival at the same time and stuff like that, that I thought was done dramatically and efficiently and really made it feel fast and flowy, if that makes sense. It was edited well. Yes, very Um, well edited. So uh, we don't really talk about editing a lot, but no, that was, and we saw that in, in an earlier episode when they kind of both, when both stories were revealing the changeling so that this is a good way of keeping both stories happening and the way they had Beverly's investigation happening at the same time as uh, Picard and Roe were talking and as they were kind of trying to hide Jack. Um, right in his Starfleet uniform and his weird visions, like the one in the transporter room. Yes. Um, And I, you know what else I loved? One other thing is in this episode, I feel like everyone is really smart, especially Picard. So last week I felt like we could all sort of see you guys have a solution and you're not realizing it. And then they slowly realize it. But in this case, I feel like Picard is always just thinking and planning and plotting and, I really like it. He's sharp. And Shaw was reasonably reluctant, but got there. So it wasn't like this drag out fight with him at the end. But you also, you know, but you also understood why he didn't immediately go, oh, yeah, I trust you. Right. Why would he? He still doesn't have a reason to trust them. But he got there when, you know, and eventually ordered them, you know, to run away, which was a smart move. Yeah. Again, this ship takes forever for the warp core to I mean, what is I know there's that? always a problem with it, the warp core. Is there like a hand crank on the warp cores? <laughs> Just some I mean. dusty person down there. <laughs> there's, you know, Oompa Loompas or something there trying to like <laughs> make it go. <laughs> but I still, I have to say, like, I enjoyed the episode very much. I said very good, not great. Isn't that good enough? Yeah, Just... I think, okay. I will say very good plus. <laughs> I think I maybe enjoyed it a little bit more than you did. I'm I'm sure. Except I think it's they, kind of the opposite of last week, where I liked last week more than you did. Right. We don't always have to be 
100% simpatico. Well, on now I'm tempted to remove the plus because of that missing hyphen. <laughs> That's true. They, they, they lost points there. I think we're done with this episode. Oh, yes, we are. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to, you know, this, this second arc. We're halfway through the season and I don't want it to end, but I also can't wait for it to end so that yeah. we can see, see it all come together. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap things up with our bits of the week. Tony, why don't you start? A new Star Trek blog launched this week called Starfleet Jag, and it's a legal academic from Europe who he uh, is a lecturer at the University of London, but he's a Star Trek fan. For his first post, he did a post uh, called Is Janeway a Murderer? Um, and it's no. all about Tuvix, <laughs> of course. But this t- it's all from a legal point of view. And... He cites uh, precedent and case law and Star Trek precedent. and But in the end, he comes down proving his case, I feel, that Janeway is indeed a murderer. Yes, she murdered two <laughs> But what's great is that it's all, you know, it's not dry. It's a fun read, but it is very, le- it's all, you know, a lot of legalese. But I, I think it's a fun idea to, and he's, he, there's going to be more stuff coming up i i talked to this guy's name is elijah z granite and i'm looking forward to what comes up next on the uh, uh, starfleet jag blog yeah if i had seen that myself out in the wild i would have thought oh tony's gonna love this so i would know <laughs> it's right up your alley you know i'm very sensitive about the tuvix I know. <laughs> moral issues <laughs> what's your bit of the week mine is this delightful group on facebook that is very open to having more people join it's a it's called star trek family um it's run by a guy named mark sickle very very nice guy um but the point of it is it's huge there are hundreds of people they actually have a lot of star trek professionals in the group ranging from like elizabeth dennehy is in the group who is shelby uh susan sackett who was gene ronberry's assistant back in the day um todd stashwick just joined uh, I'm trying to like Michael Moore who made props and, and is, is actually sometimes selling old props and things <laughs> like that from the old shows. It's a massive group. And the only rule is, I mean, well, first of all, don't go in there and try and tag Todd Stash. We can have a big conversation with him because that's not going to happen, but um, you can't be a jerk. So if someone says, you know, Kirk is cool, you can't go. Yeah. Not like new Trek. Like if you do that, you're out of the group. And if you're racist or homophobic or any of those things, you're out of the group. But if you want to just talk about Star Trek, have some fun. We do get these other people are chiming in. They actually have, they're doing activities now. So I think they've had zooms with some of the Star Trek celebs and plan to do more. I'm sure Todd is top of their list now that he joined, I think as of, today or yesterday so we'll put up a link to it but if you're looking for a place to talk about star trek with fans that doesn't get nasty and that does include people who worked on all the shows it's a great place to go you know i'm not a huge facebooker i'm more of a redditor but it sounds inviting maybe i will do it yeah it's very i you know i like seeing the stuff pop up in my feed it's all very friendly and nice excellent So that's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.